All right, let's get canceled. Uh, uh, So we are getting into the most debated passage in the church today. Uh, It is uh, so debated and crucial to understand that I'm going to dive into this passage and we're going to divide it up into two messages. I'm not even going to try to fit everything in uh, in one message because, and here's the thing, is I made a commitment that we're going to go verse by verse uh, through a book in the Bible and and it would be very easy just to, oh, let's just avoid this one, right? And just skip ahead type thing. But I would be doing disservice to you guys. Uh, and like I said, culture or context is king. So we need to know what uh, is said uh, now as we move forward. So we're going to embrace this. We're going to do it. And here we go. All right, First Timothy. First uh, Timothy 2, starting in verse 11. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. For God made Adam first, and then afterward he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. All right, so we're going to do more of a deep dive verse by verse for this because uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding, especially with that last verse that we're going to dive into. But we need to understand, uh, I'm going to focus in on more the verse 12. This is the one that's debated uh, and is a lot of times has issues with is that Paul says, I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. All right. Uh, so that's where we're going to look at. What does Paul mean here? Uh, is this universal? Uh, surely scripture changes with the times and this is no longer applies. That's probably what the, the, is the issue, right? We are focusing on this one verse today and then we're going to look at the whole passage next time. But so, like I said, to properly interpret scripture, context is keen. And it doesn't mean just reading the verses before and after, but sometimes especially with matters like this, you have to look at all of Scripture. Look at it as all-encompassing, as context. What does the whole Scripture say on matters like this? Where is this coming from? And to say it maybe doesn't apply today, uh, and to question authority is to say that maybe you have some new revelation. <laughs> uh, and so many, as you'll see, uh, that object to this passage and their argument is more based on culture than Scripture. It's more about, well, I just don't feel like that that's right. I, I feel like that shouldn't be the case. And the objections really show how much the, some of the false teaching of feminism and critical theory has infiltrated the church. Uh, it, it's more than what we're going to get into here. But that's a lot of the thinking that comes about, especially with passages like this one. So I know where you guys are at right now. and your teenage years, you're probably thinking, this has nothing to apply to me. But you have to know what your roles are and know what's expected of you to know who you're going to be. And so I'm trying to equip you guys because you, soon you'll go out here and you get out into other churches and other places, that, and this subject comes up, you need to know how you're going to stand to it. So before we move on anymore, I want you to know I take preaching very, very seriously. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Every time I get up here and I open up God's word, I do, there's two things that I vow to do. One is to preach what God says, not my personal opinions. Because I'll be honest with you, my personal opinions at times, it's like, I don't know if I want to say that, God. All right? And two, 
not to use the platform for my own agenda and tax. All right? That, that, those are two things that I vow every time that I stand before to represent God is I'm not here to represent myself. I'm representing God. So I plan to simply, let's just go through Scripture, and I'm going to let God speak for himself in this matter. And in doing so, it will make it even more cl clear that if you have an issue with what is said, it's with God, not me. All right? The, what this means is that most so-called Christians do not believe in the sufficiency and authority of Scripture. That's what a lot of times boils down to. And that is truly what's on the line. They are echoing Satan in Genesis 3, which he asked, did God really say? That's what the really question is. Did God really say this? Which is a great question, exactly where we're going to start, because Paul even referenced this. He goes back to Genesis. So there's something with creation that we need to know. So uh, just real quickly, you don't have to turn to it, but Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, all right? That God created the heavens and the earth, and he goes through all the things, and then he created man, all right? And then in, verse, in chapter 2, uh, he goes back, and it's kind of like recapturing, all right? We're going back. And he, saw, and he has Adam, and he gives Adam this special decree of, hey, you need to take care of the land, go protect it. That's what a gardener was. It was more of a protector of the land, and, he, and you need to steward this. And then he realized, us guys on our own, we're bad news. Like, we get ourselves into trouble, all right? And so, uh, and there was too much work to be done. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to create somebody that's suitable for you, and none of the other animals or creatures or anything like that are suitable. So he caused Adam to go to sleep, and he takes one of Adam's ribs, all right? And uh, that's very important. Sometimes we just glance right over that. But it's I've, the taking from the rib, it means that he, wasn't take, he didn't take the, from the foot to, as a symbol of that Eve is below man, all right? That Eve was below Adam. And he didn't take him from the uh, piece of a skull to say that Eve is above Adam, all right? He took it from the rib to say that they're equals. And he made flesh of his flesh. And that's exactly when Adam saw him. He was like, wow. All right, that's, that's the actual uh, Hebrew is, whoa, man. All right, this is, that's how it came about. And so he, and the, that was a suitable helper. And Eve came along and she multiplied his strength, multiplied his efforts. And we might think helper as kind of a down thing, but God refers to himself as being a helper even. All right, and then there's creation. So it's very important that we notice the creation order. All right, that God, he made creation, but then he put man above that and he started establishing a creation order. So it was man, and then his wife, and then uh, creation. He, what God does, it talks about in Genesis 1, is that it was formless and void, that it was all chaos. And what he does is he brings ordered chaos. So he, brings, he creates man as his masterpiece of his creation, and then woman was made from man as man's glory. That's why there's that connection there. So, uh, what is being formed? What we're talking about is headship or patriarchy. And you'll hear this over and over again. Down with the patriarchy. All right? That's, that's, that's the cry of the day. All right? Down with man. And patriarchy was actually established, and it's like gravity. You can fight it all you want, but God has established it, and it's there. And, and it's actually supposed to be a very good thing. Now, it's been used wrongly. I'm not denying that. I'm not denying that guys have abused their, 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 their power or their stance. But Scripture teaches 
really about plural leadership and singular headship, all right? This is the idea that we see in the Trinity, that the head of Christ is God, all right, which indicates that the Trinity and the Father has a role of authority of leadership uh, with respect to the Son. So while they're the same, they're God, there is an authority figure. And Paul transfers this over, and this is kind of comes over into uh, uh, us as well, that the man and woman are equals, but when in a relationship and in that kind of authority, the man is firstly responsible. All right, it's it might the even if it's not his fault, it's his responsibility. So uh, that and that's important to notice is that they're they're not saying that hey you're below him or anything like that. There's still plural leadership. All right, it's like. Mrs. Jett and I, we still talk through stuff, but then at the end of the day, it's my responsibility, right? And I have to own the decision that we come up together, I own that, and we move forward. And it's all, all of this is set up to protect, all right, and to, uh, for those that are under their care. So the, the person that would be established, Adam was the patriarch of all mankind. That's why when he sinned, his sin is, went to all. This is where Romans 5 comes into play. And he talks about that Adam, sin came through Adam, but then salvation comes through Jesus because Jesus is the new Adam. He's the new patriarch. All right. So what you could actually say is God, all right, there's order in the home. He establishes order in the home, order in the churches, and order in the world. So then why is there all this chaos that we see in our world today? Why is it so screwed up? Well, the serpent flipped it all, all right? He, the creation uh, serpent came to Eve, deceived her, and then uh, Adam deliberately disobeyed. That's why he's held to more accountable type thing. They're both held accountable to their actions, but Adam, he deliberately disobeyed. Eve was deceived. Adam deliberately disobeyed, choosing his flesh uh, flesh of his flesh over God. All right, so Genesis 3. This is trying to move through this as much as we can, guys. I know. Genesis 3, uh, we read of the curses, all right? And here's the one, uh, women, uh, it says in Genesis 3, he says in Gen- Genesis 3, all right, he says, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in the pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. All right. So immediately, the curse of uh, of the fall. All right. For man, he says, "Hey, all this work and everything like that that you do that was you didn't have that labor. Now it's going to be really hard. You're going to have to work against creation to accomplish what you need to." To the woman, though, he says, "You will be prone to mistrust your husband, and rather than follow his leadership." You would, they will continually just seek to rule over him, though it not, would not really result in any change because it's impossible to overthrow what God has established. So even if she did overthrow the husband, the husband is still going to be held responsible. The man will still be responsible. Now, critical theory directs their attention towards men, saying that they established this hierarchy, this patriarchy, and, and thus it needs to be changed. But in reality, it is God who established this order, and so their beef is with him. Now, there's an important word here that I want us to really look at. It is in Genesis 3, 16. It says, your desire will be for your husband. That word desire we see again in Genesis 4, where God warns Cain about the sin of murder that's crouching at the door. He says, and if you do not do if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. 
That word desire is actually the word devour. All right, that's the actual uh, original language. It's the word devour. Is that this? You the that the he's saying that the woman will want to devour their husbands and take the role as leaders from their husbands, but to no avail. All right, that's the curse. And in case we think it just ends there, we move on. And in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, anytime women are mentioned in leadership, the spot is always negative. It's not positive. Uh, Isaiah uh, uh, 3.12 addresses women leadership as a curse, not a blessing. It says, My people, infants, are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the curse courses of your paths. Jeremiah 44 uh, 15 through 25, it mentions women are first mentioned before men as the men had let the women uh, take the lead and worship false gods and they were leaders. But then when it comes about, it, he holds the men responsible first. All right, that's the Old Testament. There's other examples, but what about the New Testament, right? Jesus, it's all about Jesus. Jesus, he treated women with dignity. He maintained the creation pattern though of male leadership that permeated all of Old Testament. Uh, he, you, we see the difference in Jesus, all right? Jesus, throughout his ministry, would often violate social taboos regarding women. He befriended a Samaritan woman at the well. He spoke publicly with a widow of Nainan. Uh, he healed and cast out w- demons of women. He used women as examples of exemplary faith in his teachings. Uh, and what was really controversial was that... Uh, Women were actually not allowed to sit and uh, learn theology, all right? They were omitted from that. But Jesus, he taught women theology. And in our passage, Paul even says, women should learn theology. Uh, he, uh, Jesus also allowed a sinful woman to anoint him. Two of Jesus' closest friends were women who he loved like sinners. And the funding of Jesus' ministry even included generous support from godly women. And lastly, this is a big thing of Jesus and, and shows the importance of women, all right, is that the, they were the first to know that Jesus rose from the dead. Before Jesus appeared to any of the other disciples, he appeared to Mary. Why is that so significant? Well, women couldn't testify in court back then. Their testimony, their word meant nothing. And so the fact that God would reveal his resurrected self to a woman First is huge, and it also stands to show that hey, this isn't a made, made, man, uh, made up religion. This is real. All right. So God, Jesus, we see this over and over again. He he honored women. He elevated them. Yet, even then, he did not include them in vital positions in ministry of becoming apostles. And some might say uh, about the twelve. Right? He would do stuff if he had to. He was not above casting and causing issues. But when it came to choosing his closest 12, they were not chosen by chance or culture acceptability, but rather by the will of God the Father. He, it talks about how Jesus spent all night praying and seeking God. Okay, God, who are the 12? Who are going to be the 12 apostles that will carry on my message and carry on about me? And it's doubtful that the people in Jesus' day would have been even more scandalized by the selection of a female disciple as they would have been over the selection of a traitor and extortionist called Matthew. All right? It wasn't above him. He wasn't above being uh, looked upon badly and having society fight him on stuff. If it was a thing, he would have done it. But instead, he didn't. 
All right. Another part that I want to make sure that Jesus clearly believed in Genesis 1.27. He constantly refers to back to the creation order. He didn't try to overthrow it. If he wanted to, he could have very easily. Before we move on to looking at Paul, I want to also talk about how Jesus actually gives a very powerful illustration of what submission actually looks like. All right? Uh, he, in Matthew 26, 36 through 46, he's actually pleading with God. He says, God, if there is any other way to save everybody, to let this cup pass, please let it be. But not as I will, but as you will. And here's the thing about submission is that when we actually submit to authority, we're actually the most like Jesus. I also like the, the quote uh, that said, one of the ladies said that submission to her was ducking so God could punch her husband. All right, that, that's submission. All right, it's, it's not putting yourself in the place where it shouldn't be, letting God deal directly with them. Another lady, she said, you know, uh, submission to her was praying uh, to sick the Holy Spirit on her husband. All right, so that, there, that is the part of submission. But Jesus, he shows us this perfectly. Paul, he was frequently beaten and thrown into prison for violating cultural norms of his day. Had Paul not so viciously undermined so many deeply valued cultural norms, uh, he would have lived to a ripe old age and not been beheaded. Uh, but he, he, so he's not above all that, but in all of his teachings, he constantly is establishing the creation order again. 1 Corinthians 11, 7 through 16, it gets into kind of that passage, and a lot of people are like, what in the world does that mean? type thing, but he talks about uh, uh, that man should not wear anything on his head when worshiping, for man is made in God's image and reflects God's glory, and the woman reflects man's glory. So he's, again, showing, hey, here's the order. For the first man didn't come from woman, but the first woman came from man. And man was not made for woman, but woman was made for man. For this reason, and because the angels were, are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head to show she is under authority. So the whole head covering thing was kind of like our wedding rings. All right? And so what was happening was the, the women were kind of throwing that off, kind of saying, hey, I'm free. All right? And Paul's saying, no, that's not right. And he establishes this, uh, again, authority. And it says, uh, at the end, he says, if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say that we have no other custom than this, and neither do God's other churches. So this is a custom across the board. All right, Ephesians 5, 15 through 33 is one of the biggest passages that we are going to finish on uh, in, in dealing with all this. And then, like I said, next, next time we're together, we'll dive into the actual passage, but it's important to have this framework and understanding as we interpret uh, the rest of the passage that we're actually in. So here's what's going on. Ephesians 5, uh, 15 through 33, all right? Paul actually talks about what it means to live by God, the Spirit of God. He says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand that the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing hymns and, uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body and the church. As the church submits to Christ, so the wife should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means you love your wives just as Christ loved his church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. All right? So there's an important part here, that, I, and why I, most time they'll just jump right into the whole submission part, but we need to back up, all right? Jesus, I want you to realize that Jesus is the focus here. And, and it's worth noting here that the authority men ha- have as head is to be like Jesus, and Jesus is the example. That is not the self-centered exercise of power, but leadership that takes care to serve the spiritual, emotional, and physical needs of those under his care. Now, if you notice, Paul talks about living by the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. All right. And then the next two verses, he explains some of the, the results of a person filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 21... He tells of a surprising evidence of the redeemed who are filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And he says, and further, you will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I mean, he just used the six-letter word, all right? Submit, uh, and, and he, it gets, uh, as though this isn't crazy enough. He says, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. As though that isn't crazy enough, he goes on to clarify, you wives will submit to your husbands, and the husbands, that you submit to Christ, all right? I want to make this important point as we close. First, notice that you, uh, for Christian wives that are filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, submitting is not up for debate. All right? Second, he says that women and wives are to submit. He doesn't say this. All right, sorry. Let me clarify that. He says women and wives are not to submit to all men. All right? That's dangerous and stupid. I don't tell my daughters, hey, whatever any guy tells you to do, you need to do it. No, that is putting them in danger, all right? As single women are to submit to their fathers, and if their father's no longer present or if they're on their own it's, uh, or if he's abusive, they're to walk in submission to God the Father and those that God puts in authority, like the elders of a church or those in authority of a ministry. Uh, and so, but once a woman is married, they are submit to their husbands, and third, in doing this, they show the world looking on a practical illustration of God's children, the church. That's what marriage is really all about, is showing the world the, the, the actual physical uh, example of what the church and God should look like. So we're going to get into more what this passage means and men and women's role next time, but I want to lay this groundwork, and I know it's a deep dive, and you're probably like, what in the world did we just do type thing? But it's important, and I, you might not realize that now, but when you go out of here and you start looking at stuff, it's very important that we look at this. And in looking at all of Scripture and this passage, it is clear that there are certain roles God has reserved for men and also certain roles that he reserves for women. And we need to start developing to be the people to fill those roles to the fullest. That's why it's important to know now and not wait until then, because then you're already behind the eight ball. 
All right. So what he is forbidding more here, and we'll get into more of this, is the elder and pastor. All right. That that women are not to be elder or slash pastors. Whether a woman is called to marriage or singleness, women should not preach or offer public teaching in the gathered worship service in local churches. The call to local church leadership is not dependent upon gifting or talent. It is based on the creation order of the Almighty God. For women to teach and preach to adult men is to defy God's word and God's design. That's, the, that's where we're going to be going. That's what we'll talk about more about in this passage. But what we need to realize is that we are all created. And when you create something, you get to make the rules. And we are the created, not the creator. And this is for our own benefit. When we follow God's order, it allows him to work freely and for us to receive his blessings.